You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello and welcome to Security Unlocked, a new podcast from Microsoft where we unlock insights from the latest in news and research from across Microsoft security engineering and operations teams. I'm Nick Fillingham. And I'm Natalia Gadilla. In each episode, we'll discuss the latest stories from Microsoft security, deep dive into the newest threat intel, research, and data science. And profile some of the fascinating people working on artificial intelligence in Microsoft security. And now, let's unlock the pod. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Security Unlocked. Today, we have Adir Garcia-Lazo, an AI engineer at Microsoft, joining us to talk about a recent blog he authored called Combing Through the Fuzz, Using Fuzzy Hashing and Deep Learning to Counter Malware Detection Evasion Techniques. Don't let that scare you. The big, heavy terms, deep learning, fuzzy hashing, one of the best parts of this episode is how well Adir describes these technical concepts. He has made it super accessible to those who, like myself, don't have a data science or engineering background. Plus one, Natalia. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't have a data science background. I'm, I'm not a, a software engineer by trade. In fact, I don't even know what I do. What do I do, Natalia? <laughs> Mostly talk. Yeah, mostly talk and make jokes that get cut by the editor. But not today. I think you're actually going to hear some of my my champagne humor. I love this conversation with Adir. We've talked about deep learning multiple times. We've talked about machine learning, you know, maybe in more than half of our episodes. And it was fascinating to really further understand this concept of deep learning and the relationship between sort of multi-layered machine learning systems. Another thing I'll point out is you, you probably hear in the very beginning of the interview, one of the first questions I asked Adir was, hey, I've heard this fuzz word before and I didn't know a lot about this topic. And so I sort of asked up, the fr- uh, up front uh, to Adir, is fuzzing or, you know, fuzz testing, is that the same or related to fuzzy hashes? And Adir was very gracious in his response, but I think we sort of got to the fact that they're not really related. They're they're essentially different things. Fuzz testing is about putting sort of arbitrary or or random data into into a sort of a computer program to see what might happen. You may even do it on an automated sense at scale to sort of see if you can make the program crash and identify vulnerabilities, et cetera, et cetera. Fuzzy hashing, which I won't give away, is something very different, but a really cool technique that Adir is utilizing to help identify polymorphic malware as well as uh, spam and other other bad stuff out there in cyberspace. It's a fantastic interview. I, I love this episode. As do I, as I've joked to you, Nick, I will definitely be listening to this one again myself. So We need the ratings. That's good. <laughs> That's what I'm doing it for. All right. With that, on with the pod. On with the pod. Welcome to the Security Unlocked podcast, Adir Garcia-Lazo. Adir, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for your time. Uh, Hello, Nick. Hello, Natalia. Thank you for having me. Now, first and foremost, how was my pronunciation on your name? Do I need to do that again? No, that was perfect. (laughs) All right. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about uh, fuzzing and fuzzy hashing and deep learning and malware detection and evasion. I'm so excited for this. Adira, you're joining us in part because you authored a blog post from July 27th, 2021 called 
combing through the fuzz, using fuzzy hashing and deep learning to counter malware detection evasion techniques. I love your blog. So first of all, thanks for writing a fantastic blog. It was super informative. I learned a lot. I have two pages of questions, which this is a podcast, so you can't see me holding my questions up to the camera, but <laughs> I'm showing it to everyone else on the call. And I'm really excited to, to jump into this and learn more. You know, this is your first time on the podcast. So maybe before we jump into the blog, could you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us a bit about what you do at Microsoft, what your team does. What does your day-to-day look like? Yeah, sure, absolutely. I can I can do that. Well, I am a data scientist and I work for the Microsoft Defender Cybersecurity Artificial Intelligence Team. We call it for short CyberSci. Within that team, there are like three sub teams, like sibling teams. And uh, from there, I belong to the malware classification team. And these are all like uh, fascinating and awesome multidisciplinary and very diverse teams. And I mostly specialize on writing cloud machine learning models. So that means all of the intelligence that the Defender client will reach out for, I make uh, a few of those models. And my team is in charge of like building and maintaining those models. I guess as on what my day to day looks like, I think like like many people in our team, I basically catch uh, math with bad guys. <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> no, so, we love it. That's a that's a common theme <laughs> that we've had on uh, on on the podcast here. You catch bad guys with math. It's awesome. Exactly. So I'm just like making a, a twist of that. <laughs> uh, so no, I mean in reality, my day to day like it looks like trying to familiarize myself with the with the threat landscape either looking at la- threats myself or sometimes with the help of uh, like either threat hunters reverse engineers security researchers and like the point of this is just to turn these threats into like data or just basically look at data that we might already have on these threats you know also make sure that performance metrics are okay looking okay for our customers like to try to keep low low false positive rates to try to keep low known false negative. This is kind of like an interesting one because the minute you know that you have a false negative, it stops being a false negative, right? Like, so it's like unknown false negatives. And also obviously like prototyping, developing, writing the code for like machine learning models, whose goal is to increase the protection for our customers. And, uh, you know, I, so I really am like down there in the trenches. Like what I say, I call it, I make the joke also of like, I'm the one debugging the tensor sizes, which is like a deep learning thing. When you're trying to make it work for the first time, you know, you need to make sure that, that all of the, all of the uh, linear algebra math, you know, like maps, and I am the one doing that type of work. <laughs> a dear LinkedIn tells me that you've been at Microsoft for over 10 years. Yes, that's right. And in the security space that entire time? Yes, exactly. Not not necessarily Defender, but yes, in cybersecurity, absolutely. What was your first role at Microsoft when you joined? Oh, I was actually, I've jumped uh, roles three times. Like my very first role was actually a, a software developer engineering test. Like back in the day, we used to have like this role that was uh, SDET. So it's a similar role to like traditional development, but you were like just in charge of like writing test cases and trying to break things. So that was what I originally got hired for. And I did that for for a couple of years and then I guess eventually transitioned over to like just a regular software development engineer. And in the last couple of years, I have transitioned to like a data science position. But I have been uh, all of my career in cybersecurity and uh, most of my career at Microsoft, really. And Adir, today, as, as Nick mentioned, we're talking about a blog that you authored called Combing Through the Fuzz, Using Fuzzy Hashing and Deep Learning to Counter Malware Detection Evasion Techniques. Equally thrilled to be talking about this blog today. Let's start with the, the impetus for this initiative. So what 
prompted the team to look at fuzzy hashing and deep learning as techniques for detection and as opposed to some of the more traditional methods like signature-based detection? Yeah, that's a good question. So I feel like the answer to that, it's mostly driven by polymorphic malware and adversaries. So it turns out that traditional methods are like relatively good to capture known malware. Like it's just, as you mentioned, in the form of signatures, which are like these small definitions that are like shipped to your client. So AKA your actual defender in your Windows machine. And uh, if it's something that we've literally seen before, then it's just as easy as comparing the, the SHA-256, which is like a fingerprint of the malware. Things get tricky when it's stuff that we have not explicitly seen before. However, oftentimes we have seen things similar to that. And this is where fuzzy hashing jumps in. And why deep learning? Because deep learning has been excelling in like uh, tasks like uh, natural language processing. So we are just kind of like curious from the research point of view to understand how many of these techniques are applicable to like uh, security data sets. So the first word you mentioned there that I, I want to jump in on is so polymorphic, polymorphic malware. So poly multiple morphic change multiple changing malware is that am i on the right track yes absolutely uh yeah polymorphic malware really means that again because adversaries are trying to evade detection basically what they will do is like they will sometimes recompile the code in like a different way or like change something very minimal in the actual uh, malware payload when they do that, what ends up happening is like this creates like a whole different SHA-256 because of some of the mathematical properties that I talk about on the on the blog post as well. So if you just change one character in the malicious payload or in the program as a whole, then you will get like a radically different SHA-256, again, a different fingerprint. So that just effectively, you can no longer just like look up on a table as like, oh, this is something we've seen before. And that's a problem, right? So I think like a lot of uh, commodity, like script kitty malware that you just download off the web and try to send to someone, it's for the most part already known uh, and it should be blocked by us and uh, by pretty much any other decent AV. But the tricky part is like, again, when you are able to remix these in such a way that like it's just something that doesn't come up with in like simple lookup tables. Got it. So, uh, so a malware creator—I don't, I don't want to say the word engineer—but someone that's that's creating malware, they could architect their code in such a way that it compiles slightly different, many, many, many times, thousands of times, millions of times. And so, anything that's looking for a a simple hash, anything sort of heuristic base, is going to be fooled even though it's actually doing the same thing because they've made some minor change, even just like a comment in the code, right? Something that may not even impact the way that the code is executing. Am I on the right track here? That's why this sort of like signature-based detection is, is sort of not, not able to keep up? Yes, uh, that's exactly right. This is one of the reasons why we complement it with machine learning. And yeah, it, it really could be th things that are, don't really change the behavior of the malware itself. So it could be comments in the code that will gen generate a different fingerprint or even just like appending like a, 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 a character. O oftentimes you would see that they would do things like this. Like it's, uh, even if you grab like an already existing malicious payload and then append like an extra character in the end of the what we call like a PE file, which is a portable executable Windows file, then uh, when you hash that end result, 
it actually has a different SHA-256. So like just doing really simple things like that with just tools that already ship with your computers, things like PowerShell, then you can, in a way, come up with simple ways to like evade uh, some antivirus. I recall in the blog, you mentioned that this creates circumstances in which most malware is seen only once. And to me, that really impressed the magnitude of the problem here. The fact that you simply can't scale to define all of that malware. You need a solution like this. So there was one other term that I really would love to hear a definition of. So fuzzy hashing. Before we dive in, could you explain what fuzzy hashing is? Hey, can I can I jump in actually? Yeah. Because I want I want to start with fuzzing because from previous blogs on the Microsoft Security blog, I had read about fuzzing. And to me, and Adira, I'm probably wrong here. So, uh, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot. But fuzzing, my understanding of fuzzing was to sort of utilize sort of random inputs, random sort of generation of potential sort of input to test code and see, you know, can you break it by just dumping random input in? First of all, do you know the definition of fuzzing and am I on the right track there? And then does that help us in potentially understanding fuzzy hashing? It is related. It is something okay. like that. So there are like several things like fuzzy string matching or like fuzzy logic. Really what it means is like that it's not going to be exact. Like if you want to kind of like have a, a similar synonym for the word fuzzing would be like inexact. So I'll give you an example of like fuzzy string matching. I think in, in traditional language processing, you could have... Microsoft with a capital M and then Microsoft without the capital M. So there are like really simple ways of, you know, like, hey, just like have this string be set to lowercase or to all uppercase. So then that, that way you can actually compare them, right? Because in the in the end, they do say the same thing. Both of the words are Microsoft. But here's where it gets tricky. So like, what if you can't do that, right? And you still want to be able to compare like how closely related like these words are. So this is when things like fuzzy string matching could do the trick, right? Because all of the all of the characters are actually the same but the capital M. So you can kind of like estimate like the similarity between two things. And you can make those two strings like be a match to a certain extent, as long as for example they have like a certain degree of likeness to each other, that you can call them the same thing. So this is where that's string matching, but this is where uh, then doing things like uh, fuzzy hashes would, would jump in, right? Which unlike a traditional cryptographic hash, what you're trying to do here is similar inputs. You want to calculate similar hashes for them. So that way you can kind of like keep that relationship of, uh, of similarity between different uh, entities. Got it. Cool. So fuzzing is about sort of understanding the relationship between two things that are different but can be sort of considered similar but but inexact, like a, like a synonym. So that's, that's sort of the fuzzing part. So then fuzzy hashing or fuzzy hashes, give us the, now let, let's go in that direction. What, what does that mean? So first of all, let me clarify that there are several types of fuzzy hashes. Fuzzy hashes are it's just the umbrella term. Under there, you can have like rolling hashes. You can have homology-based hashes. You can have locality-sensitive hashes. And there are all kinds of different uh, ways to approach this problem. But again, as a concept, the end result should be something like, given similar entities, then you should get similar hashes out. So I think like, for example, in the homology type of fuzzy hash, really what it's doing, it's like comparing it's traversing the entity over steps of, of windows and then it's trying to see if it can spot like uh, sequences 
and then calculate a hash, a rolling hash, it's called, of like the several pieces of the entity. In this particular case, it could be any type of document, right? A document, a malicious document, or a clean document, or a, or a malicious P, or a clean P. But in the end, it's just a blob of bytes that you're like traversing over and calculating like its different hashes. Before we sort of go forward, I just want to sort of come back a little bit to this definition of fuzzy hashes because yeah. you have a you have a really interesting graphic in the blog post. I think it's figure three. And you know, you, you start with the two blocks of text, yes. garden zero and garden one, and then showing how the shard 256s are radically different for both of them, even though the only thing that's different is the first word. And then, but then using fuzzy hashing or a fuzzy hashing technique, you're able to generate two hashes that are very, very similar. They're still different, but they're ex- extremely similar. Uh, yes. And I've, I've, actually, I've sort of zoomed in on it here and I can see that I think it's just like one character in the hash that, at the very, very beginning, which may, may or may not correlate to that word at the beginning in the, in the plain text that's different. So what you were able to do with this example here of the Goldmax variant is you had a fuzzy hash for Goldmax that you'd already seen in the wild. And so when this new variant came out, this fuzzy hashing technique was applied against the new variant. And then the ha- the fuzzy hash that was generated was so similar to the previous one that the logic in the in the malware detection was able to say, these are the same thing. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yes, absolutely. That's exactly right. And and I really like I, I made an effort on like uh trying to explain this with just like simple text. This is hard to convey on on like what in what it would look like on a real malware portable executable. So what I do here in the graphic, I exemplify this with just regular text. I grab a snippet from a short story that I really like, and then I apply a traditional hash to it, like a traditional cryptographic hash. And just by changing one word in the beginning, like just before for after, then I calculate the MD5 of the file. MD5 is like one of the most commonly used cryptographic hashes, along with SHA-1 and SHA-256. I also mentioned that in the blog post. And then I circle in like red in like red circles, like how is it that, you know, like they're completely radically different, right? So that means that if this were to be a malware samples, by just changing a little bit, then something, the output would be completely different. And that opposed to like fussy hashing. And the fussy hashing here, I exemplify with uh, an also very common uh, rolling fussy hash called like uh, SSDP or CTPH, which is short for uh, context trigger piecewise hash. I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's false confidence. I have no idea. You, sorry. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah, it's just the technical name of it. But it doesn't really matter. But like here, the interesting part is like here, you can actually see how this, uh, you can also know like very intuitively how as you are progressing through like the blob of bytes, that everything in the hash is exactly the same, but the first part, like uh, uh, only the first character would be replaced in the first one from P in the second one to zero, right? And that means uh, that only the first part of the the file actually is different. So, and uh, here- So the the placement of the difference correlates to where the hash will actually change. So in this instance, it was just the first word, therefore it's the first character of the hash. But if it was the last word, it would be the last character. If it was somewhere in the middle, it would have like a linear relationship to where in the hash that change is, is. Right, that's correct. Oh, for this, that's for cool. this type of hash, it's yes, it cool. is really cool. Uh, for this type of rolling hash, yes, you will see that. For other types of fuzzy hashes, like uh, locality sensitive hashes, that thing would not apply. But it would still kind of like with high probability collide into the same position, and you will have 
something that resembles like uh, the other hash. But for this type of hash, this is why I chose this one to make this uh, as an example. But uh, yeah, I think I think that is really cool. And there are like uh, several other implementations. I also mentioned that in the blog post, uh, like uh, TLSH or SSD, which is the one I used. And there's like several others uh, that you can just go on to GitHub and find uh, open source implementations for. Here, like at Microsoft, at Defender, we have uh, the ones that we use outside and some other ones that we have just implemented in-house. What about the magnitude of the change? Is there a limit to how much change the fuzzy hashing methodology can recognize? So in this case, for instance, you changed one word at the beginning and then there is a related change in the fuzzy hashes. But if you changed 50%, is it harder then to see the similarity to the two? What is, what is the true limit there? Right. Yeah, that's also a very good point. So that's another thing you could do, right? I, I gave the example of like just appending an extra character of uh, already malicious, portable, executable. But again, that's like script kitty thing, right? If you if you have access to the source code, then nothing is stopping you from like actually renaming every variable and just recompiling the program, right? When you do that, then yes, like even the fuzzy hash would be radically different. So the behavior could be exactly the same, but if every time you were using variable A, you uh, all of a sudden have changed it to variable B, then the actual blob of the binary sequence that represents that program would could be potentially very different. So yeah, I mean, again, this method is most definitely not perfect. Got it. All right. Next word from the blog post that I would love you to help me understand is I would love to know what is a multi-layer perceptron because I think they were aligned with the Autobots in the war against the Decepticons when... Uh, yeah, the or was joke that the Dinobots? I can't remember which one it is. Um, what is a perceptron? And then I guess what is a multi-layer perceptron? And if you could answer in the form of a question, that would be great. No. <laughs> yeah. So actually, Perceptron is like the basic, the most basic prototype of like what a binary classifier neuron is. It dates like back to the 70s. Wow. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually really, really exciting research. And a multilayer Perceptron is what it name says, right? It's just basically having arrays of those stacked on top of each other. Back in the day, they used to have like, there's a lot of, you know, like uh, supervised learning algorithms. Think of like decision trees or random forests or like linear regressions. And and this was one one that back in the day was developed and it represents, it functions, is let me just say, it's modeled after like how a brain neuron really works, which is it receives some input and then inside it has like a thing called like an onlinearity or an activation function. And depending on that, it would either, you know, like trigger or not. So it would be like an on or off depending kind of thing. So it turns out that when you stack those in very deep ways, then you can kind of like be able to learn like nonlinear relationships in data which turns out that it's very a very useful thing to do because you can learn like very complex problems using just these. So the research has been put out for a very long time, but for the longest time, these were not really used because of uh, we did not have enough computing capacity. And that changed, you know, I, I want to say like recently with, uh, with advancements in like new hardware or like uh, just being able to run these on like GPUs, right? Which are like uh, graphical processing units, which it turns out it excels in calculating like this type of parallel 
computation, which is really just like a matrix is being multiplied over and over again. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to orient our audience for a little bit. So the technique that you were just describing was related to natural language processing for fuzzy hashing, or at least that's the context for this blog, correct? Yes, that is right. Like the multilayer perceptron itself is at the is the deep learning part. I know it, there are like so many concepts. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean there really are. But like the multilayer perceptron part, it really is like the most basic example of like uh, deep learning. It's the most common and the most uh, studied, I would guess, because it's like uh, one of the essential ones. The natural language part was like the creation of embeddings, which uh, are like uh, you're creating high-level representations, so like multi-dimensional representations of like usually words. Although in this particular case, we're not using words, but we're using like the homologies of like the fuzzy hash. So if you were to go and for example, let's just assume that we were talking about the SSD algorithm that we were just describing on. Like that first character, either P or zero, that is the difference, that would get mapped to like another dimension vector. Let's just say a 32 integer vector. And uh, when you do that, then you are able to calculate like relationships between those homologies, like meaning like this certain sequence would like define maliciousness, yes or no. And that is commonly used in in like natural language processing. Natural language processing, think about it, like uh, it starts with words because it's just natural language. And then you would do a process called tokenization. Uh, once you do that, like the most uh, common one would be just by words. So you're like turning each word to a number, but then that number, you're also turning that number into a vector. When you run these through a neural network, uh, they have the interesting property that they can learn relationships between the actual words. So there's a very famous uh, concept of like man is to woman as like king is to queen. So it's able to learn that relationship. If I were to ask it like man is to woman as as king is to like the most vector, the most likely vector to come out of that calculation would be queen, because it has uh, somehow been through text, uh, being able to learn the relationship between like what gender means or like what royal royalty means, right? And you can do all kinds of like vector math that that would work on that. And I was just very curious to see if this type of technique would be applicable to uh, malware, and we decided to explore on that. And it turns out that it works out like a. Uh, really well. So that's uh, very exciting. So in your example, I think from figure two, excuse me, in the blog post, where you have that story text where you've just changed the one character. Um, so we, sh- we showed how the SHA-256 gives the radically different hashes, but now we've shown how the SS Deep gives you very, very similar hashes. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the diagram four, where we, you show the files, the hash, the embedding of the fuzzy hashes and then the multi-layer perceptron, is the multi-layer perceptron, is that the thing that ultimately would tell a function yeah, these two things are really similar and you should treat them the same. That's right. It's actually a combination of all of those things. Fuzzy hashes would would kind of like already capture some of the similarity, meaning like in this particular example that I show, they are kind of like already observably similar. But then on top of that, then you're representing those sections as words, which can learn like even finer details. I think one of the comments that I put on the on the blog post is like, okay, so why actually do you need to use deep learning for all of this, right? Like, why don't you just compare the fuzzy hashes and say like, hey, you know, if this is very similar to something that you've seen that I know it's malware, then why not just call it malware? And then it turns out... Why not out, just call it malware, idea? 
Why are you using deep learning? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and, and it's a completely fair question. And uh, the justification for that is like, oftentimes there are like malicious versions of like clean files. So uh, for example, I've seen on the wild, like a Trojanized version of like the Discord app. So if you were to see the similarity between the malicious version and the clean version, their, their fuzzy hashes are actually very similar. And that is just because one of them is is portraying itself as the other one, right? So if you just were to compare like, hey, if it's too similar to this that I already know is malware, then you will be constantly be causing false positives on the real Discord.exe, right? Ah, great so, example. Exactly. And this is the, this is what's cool about this, because this is not only about how similar those hashes are, but also within those differences, which ones are relevant and which ones actually indicate maliciousness. And that's the part where like all of the embeddings and all of the multilayer perceptron would like jump in and like figure out. And, you know, <laughs> I like the name, like uh, this is when you come through the fuzz, right? <laughs> this is where you're like yeah. uh, defining which of these parts are actually relevant and which ones are not. So you mentioned at the beginning of this that you were mostly curious how NLP would work for this particular problem. And throughout the process, you tried several different techniques, not just multi-layer perceptron. So can you walk us through how you tested these different techniques, why some worked, why some didn't? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do talk about this and uh, it's just because I tried a lot of different things, and again, out of just sheer curiosity. So I, uh, I guess I really appreciate the people in my team that support me for like doing all these kinds of like crazy scientist things. <laughs> so I tried uh, different architectures. I tried convolutional networks. Convolutional networks are usually used in vision problems, and from the literature, they just capture the same way you would go traversing in Windows when calculating the fuzzy hash, you would do the same like with the whole entity. So it just kind of like, um, it worked. Most of the approaches worked, but some better than others. I also tried transformers, which are like uh, a very new state of the art. They're, I think you find they're robots in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, no, they're not entirely that, but they are the <laughs> way they are the way that uh, new state of the art models like OpenAI's GPT-3 work right like the 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 technique underlying these models uh, really is a thing called like the attention mechanism that i will not get into but if you're like into data science and like natural language processing i would highly encourage you to read up on these and i also try these and and this one was also doing really well and the problem with this is that uh, it just uses a bunch of parameters so imagine in a deep neural network when you are finally able to train it, like it actually has a size, which is a number of numbers that it needs to effectively add up and multiply and, and uh, do calculations on. And uh, this transformer was yielding really good results, but it was also like several million parameters. <laughs> and it was just not cost effective to run that because imagine every time you're trying to score an entity, then you effectively need to make all of these calculations. So we've already blocked malware, like the Goldmax malware that we discussed earlier in Microsoft 365 Defender. What is the future of this new approach for our technologies? Are we actively, it seems like we're actively already using fuzzy hashing, but I'm assuming the natural language processing bit is on the newer end. Is that something we're looking to bring to the product? Yes, 
So the reality is, is like we're beginning to dabble with this and we are very excited about it. So there are like several things that we want to try. So we have been considering and have been tinkering with things like, again, large language models like these or graph neural networks or reinforcement learning. And it, it just opens up the door to having done the, the groundwork for this type of model. It's going to help us a lot. And we are hoping that we will have like our, what I call our AlexNet moment, you know, AlexNet moment for security. What do I mean by that? I was earlier talking about the, about the multi-layer perceptron, and it turns out that all of that, all of those decades during the 70s and 80s and 90s, there was uh, something that people call the AI winter. There was not very much progress, and there were just like uh, people were like debating on what the, the, the real techniques or how how to move the discipline forward. And then uh, I believe it was in 2012. Then they came up with like this state-of-the-art that blew out of the water, like this metric called AlexNet, which was a data set trying to identify a thousand classes in images. So we're just hoping that we are bound to find that for security. So that means that it's going to be something that is like such a big breakthrough that we're going to give the bad guys a real headache. So uh, there are like several ideas on top of that. Some of the ones like uh, like I just uh, mentioned, or I guess also autonomous defense systems. Uh, you guys have actually covered this on the podcast because I haven't told you, but I am a fan. Uh, so like <laughs> cyber battle sim or simuland. So yeah. think about like things like this, but without the same part. So that means uh, this is just the foundation in simulation that you end up using and deploying and uh, deployed for real, like making like actual blocking and defense choices. We're excited about that as well. What's next on the horizon for you, Adir? Either, you know, is there anything you're working on at work that you can sort of talk about that's got you really jazzed or, you know, just something in the industry that you're keeping your eye on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think I already mentioned a couple of these. I have been finding myself working recently on developing a lot of adversarial models, which is just tackling these uh, threat actors and like just making sure that they are thwarted with machine learning. So that's something that excites me recently. And yeah, same thing, dabbling and tinkering with large language models, like uh, things like BERT and Roberta and things like like GPT-3 and applying them to security data sets. I think that has uh, a lot of potential that we have not entirely explored. So I am excited to continue to do that. So those are things that I'm passionate about, but I also have a little bit of worries. <laughs> things like email malware, like how prevalent it still is. And it's still the number one way to access systems. And do not quote me on this one because, I'm, you know, this is something that I might have read something, but I don't have like the hard proof to to say so. Also, the proliferation of like high impact ransomware, like either uh, human operated or not, that's something that worries me as well. Examples like the Colonial Pipeline. The proliferation also of supply chain attacks, you know, like what happened in Kasey or like what happened in SolarWinds, things like that also make me a little bit worried. It just tells you, shed some light about my personality, which is I have more worries than things that I'm excited about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I guess in general, the lack of international policy and cybersecurity, like that's something that that also, I mean, I guess we're taking steps in the right direction recently, but it's just a big problem. And uh, finally, and I hope this doesn't, yeah, this is one of the parts that I might not, hopefully this won't do the opposite of inspiring the bad guys into doing this, but also like the next step of like polymorphic malware, which is metamorphic malware, which is malware that's able to change its code dynamically. 
and that's able to evade sandboxing that is, you know, like packed with uh, unknown tools that it's encrypted, all kinds of things that makes uh, our life complicated. Like I'm, I'm also concerned about, you know, seeing a rise on those. So we will continue to have jobs. At least there's that, but uh, yeah. It seems like there's a fine line between what worries you and what drives your passion. Exactly. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us today, Adir. I know you came on to talk about your blog. And here we are trying to answer all of the big questions of AI. I really appreciate you entertaining those questions. And hopefully we'll have you on the podcast again. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Adir. That was great. Well, we had a great time unlocking insights into security from research to artificial intelligence. Keep an eye out for our next episode. And don't forget to tweet us at MSFT Security or email us at securityunlocked at microsoft.com with topics you'd like to hear on a future episode. Until then, stay safe. Stay secure. This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, join us as we dig deep into the XZ backdoor with its finder, Andreas Freund, and senior security researcher Thomas Rochia. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.